Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte Washington. Today is Wednesday, July 27th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. At least five people have been killed and 50 wounded in an anti-UN protest in the DRC. Congolese government spokesman Patrick Muyaya announced the fatalities in a Twitter post Tuesday without saying who was responsible for the deaths or injuries. Elisoto court dismisses murder charges against former Prime Minister Thomas Tabani. Mercy Corps says hate speech is spreading ahead of Kenya's election. We will have an update about Monday's constitutional referendum in Tunisia. Is South Africa headed toward its own Arab Spring? Uganda's president meets visiting Russian foreign minister in Kampala. We have got our clear position as part of the African liberation movement. We know who is who and who is doing what and why and we know where we stand. And Malawi civil society group will protest tomorrow Thursday to demand an end to impunity. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. A spokesperson for the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo says at least five people were killed and 50 wounded during protests against a UN peacekeeping mission in the eastern city of Goma on Monday. Victoria Amunga reports from VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi, Kenya. Congolese government spokesman Patrick Muyaya announced the fatalities in a Twitter post Tuesday without saying who was responsible for the deaths or injuries. The demonstrations began Monday when hundreds attacked and looted a UN peacekeeping warehouse in Goma, demanding the UN mission known as MONUSCO leave the country. Carrying signs and chanting anti-UN slogans, the protesters accused MONUSCO of failing to achieve peace while leaving citizens vulnerable to ongoing attacks by M23 rebels. In a Twitter post, MONUSCO condemned the protest, rejected protest accusations of causing chaos and instability, and vowed to help make progress towards stabilization and peace. Local officials have called for calm, but similar protests began Tuesday in Butembo, some three kilometers north of Goma, where M23 rebels recently advanced. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Nairobi. The run-up to Kenya's August 9th election has seen an increase in hate speech aimed at influencing voters, mainly through social media. Groups such as the U.S.-based charity Mercy Corps are running education campaigns to counteract such speech and raise awareness on misinformation and disinformation. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. Kenya is seeing a spread of insightful comments both online and at the campaign stops ahead of the August 9th general elections. Research by the U.S.-based humanitarian group Mercy Corps find a growing use of words that amount to hate speech and cause spark violence, especially in the event of a contested election. Charles Opondu is the program manager for peace building and conflict management at Mercy Corps in Kenya. He says some speakers use code words in an effort to promote ethnic tension. The term kihe, kihe basically means uncircumcised, an uncircumcised uh, male. So basically turning them a child and so on and unfit for leading. There's been the use of the term fumigation, which sort of means to targets for extermination uh, particular groups. The National Cohesion and Integration Commission, a body that promotes good relations and peaceful coexistence in Kenya, published a list of 23 words and phrases 
They say could spark intercommunal violence. Daniel Omondi is the head of the Global Peace Foundation Kenya office, which, like Masikovs, is trying to combat the rise in hate speech. When people are talking, um, when you go to where people you know, uh, are meeting, basically, um, there's a lot of tough speech, you know, uh, tough sloganeering. But as a peace actor, I do not... Um, really want to, you know, basically spread fear as a result of what is going on. Analysts say Nairobi, the neighbouring counties of Kiambu and Nakuru, Deputy President William Ruto's home county of Wasingishu, and former Prime Minister Raila Odinga's home, Kisumu County, are potential hotspots for election-related violence. Ruto and Odinga are the leading candidates in the presidential contest. Political commentator Michael Aguanda says both men are partially to blame for the tension in the country. What is happening today is uh, the competition between Honorable Raila Molodinga, the former prime minister, and the sitting deputy president is very, very uh, tight. As a result, uh, people are deviating uh, from the original campaign slogans and uh, philosophies and beliefs and uh, development structures and uh, getting to personal. And I think this is a result as a result of uh, cue that they're getting from their presidential aspirants. In an effort to stamp down the tension, peace campaigners are mounting campaigns on social media and holding town halls to educate voters on how to get reliable information regarding the election. Apondo says they are trying to demonstrate ways of solving political issues besides violence. But then you're also using uh, social media uh, to, to create uh, awareness on what are the available alternative dispute resolution mechanisms in the country other than resorting to protest, resorting to violence or targeting each other's supporters. They need to know that we have the uh, political parties dispute tribunal. You can go to the courts. You can use the internal party dispute resolution mechanisms. Previous Kenyan elections have been marked by violent protests and attacks on people because of their ethnicity. In the 2007 election, a disputed presidential poll sparked attacks that killed more than 1,100 people and displaced a quarter of a million from their homes. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. A new Tunisian constitution that greatly expands the powers of the president easily passed a referendum on Monday, but with extremely low turnout. President Kai Sa'i ousted the parliament last year and moved to rule by decree, while ordinary Tunisians worried mostly about the country's looming economic crisis rather than a political crisis. Opposition parties boycotted the referendum, saying it upends the democracy Tunisians fought for in the 2011 revolution. Reporter Lisa Bryant in Tunis tells Carol Van Dam that many people did not take part in the vote for several reasons. Ordinary Tunisians were saying, listen, this is kind of an insult to all the democratic uh, achievements that we fought for. These are the opposition Tunisians, of course. Others, it was, you know, summertime. Some people were on vacation. Some people honestly just didn't care. You know, Tunisians are just so worried about making ends meet. Inflation, you know, spiraling prices gotten higher with the war in Ukraine because they've you know, it sent up the cost of wheat and other things. So it was really a mix of reasons why they didn't show up. And it's also important to note that recent votes, uh, including the 2019 presidential elections, 
had also, you know, rather low turnout because Tunisians, again, are getting increasingly disillusioned about what their revolution has brought. And I remember right after the revolution, you know, the very first vote that they had, you know, people were lining up around the block. They were so excited to participate in this democratic experiment. And right now the the feeling is, is really soured. And now President Syed ousted parliament last year and moved to rule by decree. Why did most Tunisians who voted to support a constitution that gives the president such broad powers over government and the judiciary? It seems that it's kind of a disconnect. It just seems like it goes against their core wishes. There are a number of reasons. First, President Syed is not saying, hi, I'm I'm selling this constitution that's going to dismantle democracy. No, he's saying we're going to really actually get back to the core values of the revolution. We're going to, you know, put Tunisia's future in the hands of its people. He is talking about streamlining decision-making so that there's no longer going to be, you know, sort of this gridlock with the parliament splintered among a lot of different parties who really just couldn't move forward. He's saying, okay, we'll have a stronger presidency. We can move forward. He's also talking about having sort of a, a regional council, a council of regions where it would be more regional powers. And that is important for many Tunisians because the Tunisians who, who live in the inner parts of the country, not those who are on the coast, really feel forgotten. And part of the revolution was really ignited, I mean, literally ignited by a young man in the central part of Tunisia who set himself alight in December 2010 um, because he couldn't find any jobs. And also many people did not read the draft constitution. So most people, they did not know what was inside this draft constitution before voting. Many, not all. Many did not. I mean, at least those who we spoke to, one or two would say, oh, yes, we read it. And then we asked them about, you know, so what did you like about it? And it was clear that they hadn't really read the draft constitution, nor did they know, for example, that what the president was proposing was not what uh, this uh, council of experts that he tapped to write it. Uh, had had drafted. That's reporter Lisa Bryan in the Tunisian capital Tunis. She was speaking with viewers Carol Van Dam. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today's Wednesday, July 27th. Former South African President Thabo Mbeki launched a rare attack last week on the ruling African National Congress Party and President Cyril Ramaphosa. Mbeki said public discontent with the government is so high the country could be headed toward its own Arab Spring, the uprising that toppled leaders starting in 2010 and spread across parts of the Arab world. In this report from Johannesburg, Kit Bartley asked analysts if South Africa's near constant corruption scandals and failed in state services are a powder keg waiting to go off. In his address at the funeral of an ANC stalwart, Mbeki was unequivocal in his criticism of the party to which he's dedicated his life, saying there was no national plan to address the poverty, unemployment and inequality plaguing South Africa and warning that it could lead to violence. One of my fears, comrades, is that one of these days, we're talking about this with Comrade Mamet, we're going to have our own version of the Arab Spring. Independent political analyst Asanda Nagosheng said she thinks Mbeki's warning is on target. I think that former President Thabo Mbeki is right in his assessment that South Africa is ripe for an Arab Spring. In fact, 
I would even take it further and say that South Africa has already had the preemptions or the predecessors of revolt. Nagashing pointed to the riots that broke out after the brief jailing of former President Jacob Zuma last year as one example. She said the COVID-19 pandemic had also exacerbated poverty. We know and it's been said for many, many years that South Africa has the ticking time bomb of youth unemployment and the combination of the post-COVID world. But analyst and author Ralph Matheka said he thought Mbeki's comparison went a step too far, arguing that even if the ANC lost power, it wouldn't mean the country would fall apart. The problem here is that the formulation by Mbeki then says if the ANC is not holding then South Africa is going to an Arab Spring. What that means is that only the NC can actually lead politically. President Cyril Ramaphosa addressed Mbeki's criticism that he had failed to create jobs in a speech over the weekend, saying we should challenge the claim that nothing is being done. While we all agree that our overriding objectives are to grow the economy, to create jobs and reduce poverty and inequality. And we must remember that the problem and challenge of jobs did not start yesterday. When Dile Silobo, chief economist of the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa, said it's vital for government to address unemployment and poverty to prevent growing discontent. I think this should be priority to say what sectors of the economy can be a priority for creating employment, uh, mass employment, and also making sure that um, we, we deal with the issues of inequality. But will it be a case of too little too late? With youth unemployment at 63%, frequent blackouts and failing state services, South Africa could be primed for a repeat of last year's violence. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov started a two-day state visit to Uganda on Tuesday as part of a four-nation Africa trip to defend against critics over its invasion of Ukraine. Western nations says Russia's war has fueled a global food and fuel crisis that is stoking several hunger in parts of Africa. As Alima Atumani reports from Kampala, Ugandan officials have defended their special relationship with Russia. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov told reporters Tuesday he had an intense and fruitful discussion with Ugandan President Yoram Seveni that covered regional problems in Africa and international affairs. Lavrov, speaking through a translator, said the West has used the war in Ukraine to advance its own interests. Unfortunately, today we see lots of instincts of that colonial epoch in uh, the policy of our Western partners and because they demand the whole world to choose their sides to be for them or against them. Lavrov praised Uganda and Africa for staying neutral toward Moscow in the midst of U.S. and European pressure to condemn the Russian invasion. We highly appreciate uh, the well-balanced and responsible position that has taken Uganda together with other African states in the light of the current events in Ukraine. Museveni said that whenever international issues come up, some people want Uganda to take a position against Russia. He maintains that he will continue making decisions best on Uganda's interests. We say, but you people, these people have been with us for the last 100 years because there seems to be a lot of ignorance in world affairs. People 
have very limited understanding of philosophy, of strategy, which we don't accept. For us, we have got our clear position as part of the African liberation movement. We know who is who and who is doing what and why, and we know where we stand. Western nations say Russia's war has sparked a global food and fuel crisis that is stalking famine in parts of Africa, something Lavrov denied. Our African friends understand that the current situation has nothing to, nothing to do with the special military operation in Ukraine. And we agree that in our bilateral relations we are going to be underpinned by this principle and we're going to search for new areas, for new ways of cooperation in the energy and in food market. Lavrov's Africa visit is part of a tour of African countries that includes Egypt, the Republic of Congo and Ethiopia. In an interview Tuesday with VOA's Swahili service, Uganda's foreign minister Okelo Riem said Uganda wants to see peace in Ukraine but will maintain good relations with Russia. He said Uganda's view is that the sides should engage in talks and find a way to resolve this matter peacefully. He said the issue of hunger in Africa should not be used to pressure Russia, but voiced approval of the UN and Turkish broker deal to allow Ukraine to export grain through its currently blocked Black Sea ports. Halima Athmani for VA News, Kampala, Uganda. A court in Lesotho on Tuesday dismissed murder charges against former Prime Minister Thomas Tabani. He was charged last December with the murder of his estranged wife, Lebolele Tabani. She was shot to death in her car in June 2017, just a few days before Tabani was to be sworn in for his second term. Tabani subsequently married the much younger Messiah, 43, who was also charged last year with Lebolele's murder. Police say Matsaya allegedly paid eight people to kill Lepolele. The 83-year-old Tabani and his wife Matsaya have both denied involvement in the killing of Lepolele. Lebo Hans Haley is the Secretary General of the ruling All-Basoto Convention Party. He tells me that the charges were dismissed because the prosecutor failed to produce two key witnesses. That is true. Both uh, the former Prime Minister and the First Lady, the charges against them that have been withdrawn because the Crown has failed to bring forward two witnesses to the case. This case will remember uh, it has been there for the past five years. The court has found that uh, since the Crown and the prosecution have failed to uh, bring down the key witnesses, there's no need for this case to continue. All charges have been withdrawn. Who are the key witnesses that the prosecution failed to bring forward? Who are they? Now, I can't uh, tell you the names, but these are the people who are alleged to have been uh, named as key people after this uh, alleged murder. So what happens now to the former prime minister and the former first lady? As I'm talking to you now, both the former prime minister and the former first lady when I spoke the last time to the former First Lady, she was supposed to be running for Parliament. Is she still going to run? She has that uh, ambition, and uh, if she succeeds, there is nothing stops her to do that. Help me to understand. So this case is completely over? It's completely over. It is now over and uh, forgotten as of today.
This is very good news for the former Prime Minister and the former First Lady. Where are they now? Are they in Lesotho or they're out of the country? Right now, they've just left the grounds of the court. They just left the court? Yeah, they've just left the court as we speak. Did the former Prime Minister and the former First Lady, did they make any comment yeah. about this decision? No, they haven't made any comment to the press. We are out of the court just five minutes ago, and the charges were, were withdrawn against them. As I've said, they are now free, free citizens of our country, of the kingdom. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Lebohan Sehele is the Secretary General of the ruling All Basoto Convention Party. He was speaking with us from the Lesotho capital, Maseru. In Malawi, several civil society groups under the umbrella Action Against Impunity plan to organize nationwide demonstration tomorrow, Thursday, to pressure President Lastro Chakwera to keep his campaign promise, including removing presidential immunity. Sylvester Namiwa is the executive director of the Center for Democracy and Economic Development Initiatives. He tells viewers Peter Clotty that civil society organizations are committed to holding public officials accountable for their actions. We want to send a precedent that politicians do not take us for granted because for the past 58 years we've been independent. We are moving in circles, development-wise, for one simple reason, that the, we have allowed politicians to get away with their own promises, uh, which they make prior to every election cycle. So we would like to remind President Raza Sebrera of the super-quoted promises he made prior to the court-sanctioned June 23, 2020 presidential votes. The chief among them was to assume presidential powers that was uh, clearly mirrored through trapping of the presidential immunity, which protects the president uh, that even though he, there is also evidence implicating him into a corruption scandal, he cannot be investigated or dragged to court. So we think if the president is clean or is serious about his promise that he, his government is going uh, to, for zero tolerance on corruption, there is no reason why the president should drag his feet in fulfilling his own promise. Officials of the government have said he has to fix the problems he inherited first before he can fulfill the promises uh, he has made. Why don't you just wait or give him time to fix the problem and then, you know, keep his campaign promises? Why, why wouldn't you give him the time? We would like to remind President Raza Sabrera that uh, Section 12 of the Republican Constitution is very clear that uh, he is using borrowed powers. Now, someone who has been delegated to do something does not have the luxury of telling the owners of those powers when to ask him to do something or to let alone have the lecture to set priorities. We are the people that he borrowed him the power he's using, therefore, he's supposed to listen to us. Secondly, uh, from his own lips, he promised the Malawians that his leadership is going to be servant leadership. Therefore, a servant does not tell a master the right time to do something, even does not have the audacity of, of setting priorities. So we want, this is the very reason why we are going, we are mobilizing Malawians to go into the streets. We want to send a strong signal to our politicians that they should stop taking us for granted, that they should not be allowed to get away with their own campaign promises. Some people are suggesting that you'll be putting the lives of these protesters in danger because recently organizers of protests were arrested and there were clashes with the police as a result of that. 
what is going to be different about this protest? It is unfortunate that that is coming from a government that is the ultimate beneficiary of uh, protest. They are conveniently forgetting that this is the very reason why our own father, our own parents, fought the dictatorship of uh, Kamuzobanda. And uh, we adopted a constitution that uh, gives us uh, freedoms and, and rights. And one of those rights is to hold peaceful demonstration. Sylvester Namiwa is the executive director of the Center for Democracy and Economic Development Initiatives. He spoke with you, Peter Clotty. And that's it for this Wednesday, July 27th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for being with us this morning. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Barton, Washington, saying, have a great day. Mm-hmm.